Welcome back to Delta Waterfowl's The Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. Have you ever considered purchasing a silencer for your hunting rifles, but were unsure of their advantages or intimidated by the process? Well, I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. In today's episode, we cover the many advantages of using a silencer, but also discuss buying made easy with the South Dakota-based company, Silencer Central. With that introduction, let's bring in today's guests. Brandon Maddox, welcome to the Delta Waterfall Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Right on, right on. Hey, also, we have one of my coworkers, Brad Heidel. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day in Wisconsin today. <laughs> beautiful day in Wisconsin. I, my, I'm originally from Wisconsin, as you know, and my mom lives in the Eau Claire area, and she just sent me a picture of a of a downed uh, white pine that's that has been on the place since I was a little kid, and it tipped over some from some of the wet snow. Did you get some snow recently, Brad? We did not. We got a lot of rain. Got, got a lot of rain. rain down here. All right. Before we jumped on here, Brandon was telling me that uh, they got a little bit of snow overnight too, or this morning, and just like we did here. So winter is not over, even though it's the latter part of April. Yeah, it's hard to believe, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Brandon, so let's jump right into it. Uh, you know, we really wanted to spend some time with you, learn about Silencer Central, and then we wanted to learn about kind of the relationship that Delta Waterfowl and Silencer Central have. But then also, you know, let's let's get into kind of the nuts and bolts and and the pros and the process of of I guess the firearm enthusiasts and and hunters that for Delta that would be interested in picking up a silencer. So you can um, help us through that conversation. Does that sound good? Oh, I like it. Sounds great. Right on, right on. So, hey, let's get to know you, the person. Brandon, tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself. Where are you from? What's your background? Yeah, good question. So, um, I was born in the South and grew up there in the Southeast, mostly in North Carolina. So, um, went to school there. Oddly enough, I'm a pharmacist. So, I went to undergrad pharmacy school at Chapel Hill and then uh, did my MBA at Duke. So, everyone thinks they can't go together, but I guess they can occasionally. <laughs> Um, married a gal from South Dakota. So that's how I got here uh, into South Dakota. My wife's from here. She's also a pharmacist. So we met at a pharmacy convention. Um, you know, I, as when I was in, I did pharmaceuticals after pharmacy school and, um, you know, I learned pretty quickly. There's not a very large population density in South Dakota. So the probability of me having a great career continuing in uh, pharmaceuticals now that I'm in South Dakota was probably gonna be limited. So I uh, just got into the whole shooting and hunting and uh, ended up kind of enjoying the prairie dog hunting and decided that, gosh, a suppressor would probably make this a little bit more fun, which it did. And then it just sort of evolved from there, just uh, buying suppressors and realizing that the process that people were going through was broken. And then I honestly only wanted to fix it for myself because at the time, that's all I was really worried about is how do I get more suppressors more quickly and not have to deal with dysfunction locally um, and really just started a business based on that. Brandon, I could tell you that my first suppressor experience was also on Prairie Dogs and it, it was pretty spectacular and it changed my way of thinking immediately. Yes, totally. Yeah, totally. Cause like my theory was, gosh, I'm driving, you know, four or five hours West. I take a shot and the prairie dogs, you know, they, they hide, they're stupid enough to figure out what's going on. And then when you use a suppressor and they couldn't tell where the shots are coming from, I mean, they could shoot all day. So yeah, big game changer. So yeah. let's just jump into that. It, I, I myself, I'm not, yeah, I'm familiar with, with the pros of a suppressor, but I wouldn't call myself intimately familiar with their value you know, I think there's that initial silencer versus suppressor. I've always been kind of coached to say suppressor because yeah. they, they still go boom. But what are some of the pros that people should consider when they're thinking of, hey, is a silencer or a suppressor right for me? You know, I think a lot of people focus on, you know, the sound mitigation where they don't have to wear earplugs. And it's something that, you know, it, it's sort of the obvious, but then also just think about it from, a, um, you know, if you're hunting with a dog, protecting their ears, if you're hunting with friends or children or grandchildren, typically hunting social. So just that ability to still be able to communicate without having to wear, you know, bulky ears. And also the, the you know, concern I've been on so many places where you, 
you think you have your ears on and people start shooting and you wish you had your ears on afterwards. So just the hearing thing is sort of an obvious. Um, the other benefit too is just recoil reduction. I think a lot of people forget about the ability to reduce recoil. It's about the same as a brake. So if somebody's shooting with a brake on say like a bolt action, you're going to get the same kind of benefits that you would with a brake. So that um, mitigating the, the recoil reduction. Um, also, especially when you're, you know, hunting with it, typically you can tell the sound of the impact of your shot, whether it's actually a kill shot or if it's a wound shot or if it's a miss, it just, it takes away that loud percussion of the shot going off where there's enough, um, you know, where you could still hear when, like, if you hit a big game or a small game or any kind of animal, you can tell if it's a solid hit. It's a whole lot better. Just Having been to Africa myself and see the trackers, they're like, wow, I just love it so much better because I can tell by that hit whether it, you know, it was impactful and it's actually going to kill the animal. So also, I think when you said for recoil reduction or I suppose you get less jump on the yeah. gun. Yeah. So yeah. for a long Having distance shooter, you can stay on inside oh, yeah. of target, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even prairie dogs, like, you know, I use a twenty two two fifty, and when you shoot, um, if, if you get a, just a slight bit of recoil and you're zoomed in pretty tight, it's hard to then find the prairie dog again. So having that suppressor sort of helps you stay on target, which is nice. Um, yeah, it just honestly, it makes shooting a little bit more enjoyable. You don't have to worry about that loud percussion. And I think people just shoot better, get more comfortable. They're not anticipating the shot as much or worried about that impact. Hey, Brandon, Joel and I are both waterfowl hunters and, and most waterfowlers are also huge big game hunters and Joel and I love to hunt big game. It, yes. It's probably one of our favorite things to do. Does a suppressor, you can answer two questions. Do you prefer suppressor or silencer? And does a suppressor also have a positive effect on overall ballistics and velocity as well? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So on the silencer versus suppressor. So, um, you know, here, it's like from a consumer perspective, I find most people will call and say, I want to buy a silencer, but then after they shoot it and they get a second one, they say, I want to get a suppressor. So, you know, if you look at like Google searches, more people search the word suppressor, I mean, sorry, silencer. So the word silencer searched more. I, I probably say silencer too much because it's in our name, but also it's the legal name and the ATF legally, that's what they call it. The guy that invented it, that's what he called it. Consumers, like I said, if you look at Google historical trends of search, uh, you know, that's what consumers typically call it and search for the most. I would say suppressor is all, all obviously more accurate, but it's just, you know, speaking in the same terms as the customer and then the ATF, if I'm, you know, in more of like a legal type discussion. But yeah, good question on ballistics because it, it gets confusing because if you look at some of the video games now, the video games will show it's speeding down your velocity. And I think a lot of people have that misconception. Um, you know, whenever we chronograph it, it always speeds it up. It's almost like having a longer barrel. Mm -hmm. um, just you get it. It's not a lot, you know, 10, 15 feet per second, but at least it's not negatively impacting speed. And, um, you know, the other thing I always remind people is the hole through the middle is bigger than the bullet. So nothing's going to touch. So there's really no, you know, it's not going to slow down the bullet or change the impact. But your other question, like far as, you know, ballistics and also the accuracy component. So uh, accuracy obviously is a measure of like consistency. How consistent is your shots group? And typically it's better with a suppressor and it's because of that extra weight on the end of the barrel, kind of like a bull barrel would add a little bit more consistency for you. So there's really no negatives from a, you know, a ballistic for a speed of bullet or impact to the actual bullet or even accuracy. There's all benefits, which is good because most people don't know that they don't, they, they just assume and don't ask differently. Well, those are, those are fascinating answers. Good questions, Brad. That if I was one of the listeners on this podcast, I would say, why, you know, fast, this is great information. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying it, but why is silencer central? Why, why, do, why is silencer central and Delta waterfowl? Why are they partners? What, what is it for you, Brandon? Are you a waterfowler yourself? You know, I've been waterfowl hunting. Um, you know, that, that's a good question, the partnership. So one thing is, you know, we give away free um, silencers, suppressors, whatever, to each of your local chapters to give away as fundraisers. And of course, you know, in the beginning, it's sort of a pilot just to kind of see how it works. 
but it seems like, you know, based on feedback from you all, that's, it's been well received. So that tells us there is a good crossover between, you know, hunters and for, for these to perform well at auctions that you guys do for charitable type events. Um, you know, and the other thing is there's several different manufacturers of suppressors for shotguns. And the way it works is basically the choke comes out. So you're not having to thread the shotgun and you could screw the adapter in, which actually now becomes your new choke. And then the suppressor screws onto that. So there's at least three um, silencer slash suppressors out there that are made for shotguns that, um, you know, would work on what you would think of as traditional waterfowl type loads. So there's some benefits there. It's just probably not as well um, accepted because it typically some of them are bigger. There's some newer ones that have come out recently that are smaller. Um, I could probably say that, you know, not giving away too much information, but I've been in talk with some like major manufacturers who make a lot of shotguns and, you know, Hey, is there an opportunity to almost have like a replacement barrel where it's integrally suppressed where maybe there's not something on the end, but the silencer is integrated in the barrel somehow where it can actually quiet it, you know, as it's exiting. So I think there's going to continue to be more advancement in suppressor use and, um, you know, waterfowl hunting. But, you know, like we said before, there's a lot of people that hunt ducks that also hunt other stuff as well. Hey, Brandon, do you remember um, there was there was there was someone in the, the Minneapolis area who designed a barrel for a shotgun to reduce the the actual noise yes. coming out of it? And it was like an eight foot long barrel that they were using. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because I used to hear about it at shows when I would work shows up there in Minnesota, but I, I think it was almost part of like um, game fish and parks or some kind of like local city governments were trying to control the you know the population and didn't want to concern or alert the residents of these towns. It's like a metro barrel or something, but yeah, no, super long, but it worked. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, because I get all kind of interesting calls, like there's people, you know, suppressors are legal, illegal in the state of Illinois, and I've had some people saying that, you know, there's there's certain waterfowl that are almost destroying certain areas within very um, urban areas where they would like to have an opportunity, game fish and parks to actually eliminate some of these. And they're, they're saying, Hey, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could legalize suppressors to be used even in urban areas to get rid of some of these, you know, game that are a nuisance game. Um, so there's a lot of discussion. I mean, the, the reality is there, there's not really been a public safety concern from the ATF on suppressors. If you ever read a crime committed with a silencer, it's typically, a, you know, one they made themselves and didn't go through the process of buying it. So, and I know a lot of people think that second amendment type rules and regulations never get better, but I've been doing this almost 20 years. I'm at 18 years and I've seen several States go from they're not legal in our state, like Minnesota or Iowa, who now they are legal for state law. And I saw a lot of States where you couldn't hunt with them. Whereas now, you know, 41 of the 42 states where they're legal, you can hunt with them. The only state you can't legally hunt with a suppressor where they're legal is Connecticut. So I've seen it change just as, you know, people sometimes point to Europe where you can buy them. You know, I walked into a gun store um, in South Africa and you can buy one right over the counter. It's not serialized. So other countries don't regulate regulate them as highly because they're not a public safety issue. So I'm in hopes, of course, I'm the optimist that it'll only continue to get better from a regulation standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they make so much sense to me from from all the reasons, like you said, recoil. But then also, yeah, we tend to think of the noise for ourselves. But yeah, for for small shooters, for kids, and, yes. and frankly, just for overall disturbance of the neighboring community. You know, one of the things that we preach all the time when it comes to you know just being a responsible um, hunter on private land. You know, we talk about picking up trash and opening and closing gates and make sure you ask permission. But I would imagine, you know, sometimes when you're close to cattle or farm operations that I would imagine a gun going off could make anybody nervous. And so I think it would, I think just all around, it's a great idea. We breezed past, you know, the support that you've been giving Delta and I don't want to, you know, Brad shared with me some of the statistics and you've helped us raise over $100,000 with the donations that you've given to our chapter system. And that's, that is tremendous. Yeah, that so, is just, I'm sorry, Brandon, that is, that's, we received over 588 certificates since just from last August to use in our local chapter systems, which literally has raised over $104,000 just since last August. 
And we've been part of this program from, from, from its inception with you. So can you imagine how much money you've helped Delta Waterfowl raise since we started doing this? It just goes right into duck production. Yeah, no, it's great. And I guess so my so my additional pitch for that is if there's any organizations out there or local chapters that are listening to this and aren't taking advantage of us, call us. Because what I find is I usually mention this on podcasts that if somebody is a member of a chapter where maybe they're not using this, let us help you get, you know, whoever we need in touch or educate or whatever we can do. Because it once other chapters see success, then it's going to be easier to spread and sort of mimic. So, no, I'm excited about what the future looks like about how we can only continue to grow it. Cause it, you know, really from silencer central's perspective, we feel like the biggest opportunity is to educate hunters that suppressors are a lawful option for hunting. They benefit everyone. And that's a message that we find most people don't know. And if we can find a way to create a win-win where it helps in the conservation and helps your group, um, you know, raise money and then it helps us get our name out there. It, it really is a win-win. We're super excited to be in a position to offer that and look forward to continuing to grow that. Now that that's pretty special. Thank you very much. Tell let's back up a little bit. Guy from Sioux Falls, pharmacist, ends up being you know a, a prominent salesman in in the suppressor industry and a leader in the firearm industry. What were some of the early years of your business? So like, what's your? You said you started off for personal interest, but then you obviously turned it into a profession. Tell us about some of that that transition moment there. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first suppressor I bought, um, was totally on a whim. I bought like the cheapest thing I could find worked out better than I thought it would bought a second one. It really wasn't the right one either. So it wasn't until the third one I got didn't have a great, um, you know, sort of experience locally. And it's not to bash the local gun store. It's just, I think a local gun store's business model is really set up to, you pick out an item, you get a background check and you leave with that item. Whereas the suppressor, unfortunately is a little bit of back and forth. And so, I basically created a business model to manage that back and forth communication and just really put the burden on the dealer, us, instead of the customer. It seemed like the marketplace was really focused on, hey, you know, you may want one of these. We don't want to really make it easy for you. Here's the paperwork. Go figure it out. And if you can figure it out, bring it back to us. So the burden was really on the customer. Whereas we took a different approach of, hey, we're going to put all the burden on us because we're convinced that if we make it easy, you're not going to buy one. You're going to buy more than one. It's going to be like a, you know, an experience where basically you're just signing and you're kind of out of it. And then it shows up at the front door. Uh, when I first started, um, you know, not to bore you with a ton of information, but the first place I went was the Sioux Falls Gun Show, which actually is a fairly big show. And I had a really hard time getting that show. I mean, so, um, you know, I'm a white Southern guy, and most of these are a lot of grumpy old white men that run these gun shows. And um, I don't talk like them moving here from the South. And also, they're all collectors. And they see suppressor and they weren't too interested in helping me out, but just through sheer persistence was able to get into the show, sold to enough people who liked it, enjoyed the process I was creating. And then just started really working at every gun show I could. Um, I know you're in Bismarck, so that's probably one of my favorite places to work. It's close enough to the oil fields. There's enough money that spills over there uh, from Minot and all that. But I was at the Aberdeen gun show up in um, South Dakota and I realized most of the people that I was seeing at the show were from like the Jamestown area from North Dakota who wanted to buy a suppressor for me, but I could only sell suppressors when I first started in South Dakota where I was licensed. So eventually I ended up finding someone in Carrington, North Dakota, who allowed me to get a license there. And then I was able to sell to the whole state of North Dakota. So for a long time, I focused a lot of efforts on North and South Dakota as far as gun shows, sportsman shows, even went to farm shows, big shows up there in, in your area. And the benefit, obviously, in our area is a lot of coyote hunters, a lot of varmint hunters. So just that benefit of, you know, you call in three coyotes, I always say, if you call in three, how many of those three do you want to shoot? And the answer is four. So it just benefits <laughs> you even more to have the suppressor. But um, then I just started adding more states. You know, you'd go to the oil fields in North Dakota. Most of those guys were from Montana. So then I got a Montana license. And then you work the Southern South Dakota shows. And most of those people are from Nebraska. And before you know it, I had 12 states where it was a good radius for us to drive. And most of the guys I hired to help were part, they were just part-time. They had day jobs where they worked in sales. Um, so throughout this, I'm always trying to fine tune the business model to even make it easier on the customer. And I think one insight I had was really based on feedback from a consultant I hired. He's like, you really need to sit down with the ATF. This is a new sort of emerging um, area. 
and help them get their input on what you're doing and make sure you're doing it correctly from a compliance standpoint, but then also ask them for variances to do things differently. So the rules that manage the suppressor market were really created in like say 1934, the NFA, you know, Firearms Act, and there's no, you know, fax machines or digital or, you know, DocuSign back then. So really sitting down with the ATF and saying, hey, I would like to create a process that's e even easier. If I meet someone at a gun show and he buys, I met him live, but when he buys the next one, I don't want to have to meet him at a gun show. I want to send him DocuSign, let him fill out all the paperwork because I've already got his fingerprints and his trust on file. It's just sort of that iteration of working with them over the last 15 years. Uh, we've created what I would call like a working relationship where there's a mutual respect for me presenting stuff to them and then taking me seriously and professional and us working for ways that not only benefit the process, but also benefit our customer. Um, it got to a point where, um, you know, I was in 21 states and I thought, gosh, I really just need to be in all 42 states where, where silencers are lawful or legal. And then anyone I talk to at any event or anyone that calls me on the phone from anywhere in the United States where they're legal, I can sell to them and process it. So our business model is a little bit different. So if you walk into a gun store in Bismarck and buy a suppressor, you're typically going to walk back in there and pick up the suppressor. Whereas at Silencer Central, we've built a model where I have locations in every state where silencers are legal. So I've got an actual federal farms license. I've got an employee in each of those states. For North Dakota, it's Carrington. And then essentially, I mail the suppressor from Carrington to your front door in Bismarck. So you don't have to actually come see us. And that was extremely popular during COVID. So you can imagine the messaging to be able to say, we're licensed in every state. We have a contactless process. I can do everything digitally, including sending it to your front door. Only thing you got to do is sign some paperwork and then also sign when, you know, UPS delivers it and it's a, you know, signature acquired. So that business model has really done well. I think the biggest obstacle in buying a suppressor has been the process. So by focusing our model on a process and every day trying to make it easier has really helped. You know, here in Sioux Falls, we got a 60,000 square foot building, probably 125 employees in-house here. I'm sitting on $100 million worth of suppressors. We're waiting for the feds to approve. So from, from most people's perspective that drive by and come into here, they're like, wow, you got to figure it out. Whatever you're doing is working. So it seems like that was the obstacle is people are trying to figure out an easier way to buy them and wanted a simpler process. <laughs> We're looking at each other on video, but, but the listener's not seeing that. And I'm, I'm chuckling. This is, this is <laughs> fascinating stuff. So I, I, I do want to kind of, Let's break it down, kind of dumb it down, because when it all zips back together, that's the beauty behind Silencer Central. But I can buy a silencer or suppressor, right? I can I can pay for it, but I just can't take yeah. it home, right? There's yeah. the complication is there's a there there's a federal licensing yeah. background yeah. check so, process. Yeah, so let me so I should you know ferret that out a little bit, so. The best analogy I've come up with is it's a title transfer, very, very analogous or very similar to you buying a truck. So when you go buy a truck, you go to your dealer, you buy it. The dealer has to send the paperwork to the courthouse. The courthouse retitles the ownership from the dealer to the individual. But of course, you drove off the lot with it. So it's very analogous to a suppressor. So if you buy a suppressor from us, um, one advantage is we let you pay while you wait because we're the we're the single point of contact. So if you buy a silencer, some guys call and put a hundred bucks down and then we just let them pay it off while they're waiting for it. There's no interest or any fees to do that. But in simplest terms, the paperwork is all asking the feds to take the ownership of that suppressor uh, from us, the dealer, and then transferring it to that actual customer. And as part of that, we capture the information they need to do a background check. So it's the same background check you get when you buy a regular firearm. They're going to run what they call a NICS background check. The FBI is. And when they send an approval to us at Silencer Central, it means that you can legally own and possess a firearm. So once they approve it and retitle it, and the feds do charge a one-time $200 um, fee to do that. A lot of people call it a tax stamp. But it's very analogous to going to the courthouse and the local dealer or yourself has to pay that transfer, you know, to get the actual truck from the dealer's name to your name. Typically, there's a tax in most states for that. Same thing with this. So you're paying a $200 tax to get it. It's transferring uh, to you. They're approving for me to transfer it to you. We have you do the 4473, the same thing you fill out when you buy a gun. Uh, we do it via DocuSign. So once you're done with that, we can mail a suppressor to your front door from our location that's in the state where you're a resident. So so it's, it is something. Hey, I'm intimidated by it. 
Brandon, so don't yeah. worry. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds really intimidating. It sounds yeah. hard. It takes totally. a long time, a lot of research over something that you have to interact with the federal government. So I can see, wow, what an yeah. asset, that, you know, the service that you're providing. But it, it is something that an individual can do, but you make it so easy. Yeah. You know, so an individual like, um, like, so that, so we own the suppressor. So it'd be hard for the individual to like, they can't ever get one unless someone transfers them. So they almost have to have a dealer just like regular firearm. Like, you know, to get a regular firearm, even if you buy one online, you got to go to your local dealer and pick it up and they're doing a background check. So kind of the same concept, like only way you get a suppressor really is to go through a dealer that has them and then they do the paperwork to transfer them to you. And then when it's approved, you know, they give, they get it to you. Um, I totally agree. It's intimidating. I mean, sometimes I, I try to back up a little bit and say, Hey, it's kind of like hiring someone to do your taxes, you know, like TurboTax or whatever else. Someone is managing your taxes for you because you don't want to have to deal with the IRS. So kind of the same concept. We're dealing with the ATF on your behalf, making sure everything's completed correctly. And then we're mailing it to your front door once it's approved. How, so if I went to the, if I went to the local Shields, bought a shotgun, I can go home with that shotgun. Yeah, totally. What's the, what is the length of time? typically that it takes yeah. to, to clear yeah. that check for the silencer? You know, and it varies based on volume in front of you. So that's the hard part. As we sell more, the process sometimes can slow down. That's so like when the timeline to get one gets really short, a lot of people buy them and then it goes right back up. So it's kind of a seesaw thing. But, you know, when I, uh, the last 18 years that I've been doing this, the quickest I've ever seen an approval uh, in the paper forms was probably like two weeks. The quickest uh, digitally was like, I don't know, you know, maybe a few days, but right now on digital, unfortunately it's taken about eight to nine months. Jeez. Wow. And it's, it's because they have almost a million of them going through the system. They're that popular and they have, you know, 40 employees that are approving them. And um, that's the bottleneck is just, they don't have enough help to process them. So that's the, that's the hard part. I mean, I do feel like it's a step up on the digital. I mean, the hard part with the digital is any paperwork filled out long, wrong, it gets denied and then you're back at the end of the line. So puts a lot of onus on us, obviously, to make sure that we work with the customer directly to get the paperwork done. Cause what you don't want is to wait nine months and then you find out it was denied. And we got to start over. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brandon. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to bring something up. You mentioned um, your, your your business model, and you you felt the most important thing was how you had the the forty two dealers set up in the in the in the legal states. Um, I would like to mention that um, prior to us doing this podcast, I talked to uh, several of my friends who have purchased product through you through yeah. Silencer Central. Yeah, and I would have to tell you that I think the part of your business, the number one thing that you do is your customer service. Good. And this is this is just what I'm hearing from people that have actually purchased the product. What I was amazed by from what they have told me was how every step of the process they're communicated to by your people yep. exactly where the paperwork's at, what to expect, and if there's delays, so let's just say it was uh the one the one gentleman took like almost a year to get his suppressor. Yeah. But every other month he received an email from from your organization letting him know where things were in the process. Yeah. And that is more valuable than I think you could ever imagine. No, it helps. I mean, that's the hard part with like a local dealer. They just don't have the infrastructure to do that. And a local dealer, like what I found is my local dealer had one person that did the suppressors. And of course, one person can't be there 24 seven. So that's why I felt like this model would work well, but no, that's good feedback. I mean, you know, you know, with all the COVID stuff, it's been hard to get customer service people in the door and, you know, I'm paying three bucks an hour more because everybody else wants to work from home and I want everybody here. I'm convinced that how do I, you know, how do we grow as quick as we want to grow and service the amount of customers we have if we're all working from home. So I have to pay more to compete with the banks here to get people to come and stay. But I just think it's so important to have everyone under the same roof, but you know, a lot of that stuff we've automated over time where we give people updates because we have real real time communications as to what's going on. But what I found is if, if you know, I, I always say I'm real world. I mean, I grew up on the East Coast and you should have seen the look on my parents' face when I told them I was moving to South Dakota. You think I was saying like, you know, North Pole, Russia. I mean, they looked at me like, oh, my God, you're kidding. Mars. Me. Yeah, totally. I mean, they just... So when someone knows that they spent this money and they sent it off to South Dakota, which they may have no clue where that's at, there's some accountability there like, gosh, I sent all this money and what's going on? I haven't heard anything in forever. And if you don't communicate with people and let them know where it's at, 
that just their mind starts wandering. They envision me in a hammock in the Bahamas spending their money and there is no silencer. <laughs> so that's why it's so important to keep people updated and to make sure I have enough people to answer the phone within, you know, 30 seconds, just so people realize, Hey, we may not have any news, but we're here on top of things in case something happens or we need to get you an approval. We can get it to you as soon as it comes in. So how would, how would the guys like Joel and I get the process started? If Joel and I wanted to buy a suppressor, how, how do you get started? You know, great question. Um, you know, we do surveys like of customers and we find people that actually made a connection with someone internally. It does seem to help because then if you do have a question, you feel more comfortable calling and talking to, you know, an individual. So if you just do a Google search for Silencer Central and you get our phone number and you call and just ask questions, I, I do find that people do get intimidated a little bit too with all the offers on the website for as how many different ones you could buy. And once people hear, gosh, I could buy one thirty caliber suppressor and use it on pretty much every rifle I own. That's something they may not have heard if they talk to someone live. So if someone calls in live, they just get sort of a little bit more um, handholding and, you know, sort of advice on which ones would work best. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the best way. Just call in. And then what we do is we just capture information. We create all the paperwork for you and then we're sending it to you via DocuSign to sign. So obviously you could buy online as well. That works just fine. But, you know, if you want to be able to ask that additional questions or get up to speed, you know, we find that sometimes someone buys um, over the phone the second time they buy online or, you know, if a friend refers them and they feel comfortable, they'll buy online. But most people, first time buyers still trying to understand the process and how it's going to work for them, typically call in, which seems to work out well for, for the results on the surveys when they are done with the process. That worked better for them. So you guys carry other, you, yeah. your, your suppressors are manufactured by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So our silence, you know, the, so what the problem that we got into like, you know, gosh, you know, 15 years ago is that most suppressors 15 years ago were made only for the tactical market. I would say it was more of the um, sort of uh, weekend warrior, like tactical Tom or whatever you want to call it. It felt very like you screwed it onto an AR. That was really the, the market that most people were making for. And what I found is, you know, Bismarck is a perfect example. When you go there, 100% of the people that come up to your booth at a gun show are all hunters. Um, I always say that Bismarck is basically Pierce, South Dakota, but there's money up there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, people were looking for products that were lighter weight. So that's why we came out with products that were 100% titanium because it's lighter weight. It doesn't add as much weight to the end of the barrel. Most of the tactical suppressors are typically like stainless steel. So it adds a lot of weight. Also, we found hunters want it to be super, super quiet. So it's like quiet as possible is the goal. Whereas on tactical, they just want hearing safe. They just want to make sure they don't have to wear earplugs. So it's kind of a different requirement. But, um, you know, we worked with a couple of different manufacturers and we still have several manufacturers that we've paid to create products for us. And then they put our name on them. So a lot of the larger manufacturers that you hear about now, uh, most of them have designed the products that we have. And then they, we, you know, we basically make them to scale. But the... Um, but to your question, we sell anything. We're a dealer. If someone calls and says, hey, I want XYZ, we have that. Just sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get it because we have to go through a wholesaler and then source it. A lot of times we keep stuff on the shelf, so it's not a big deal. But <clears throat> you can just imagine that when I was doing gun shows, 90% of my sales were January, February, March, and a little bit into April. And to be able to get that much inventory at one time during that point in the year, it was almost impossible to get a wholesaler that could supply us. And the other part with the wholesaler – you know, I always say the struggle with a firearms wholesaler, when a wholesaler, when you try to buy a suppressor from a wholesaler, they're looking at who buys the most stuff from me. And I don't honestly sell any guns. I only do suppressors. So when I call, you know, number one distributor in America and say, hey, I want to buy a suppressor, I'm not really high on that list because I'm not buying millions of dollars of other stuff from that distributor that are non-silencers. So it always was a struggle to get the suppressors we needed. So that's why we went out to manufacturers to make them for us, just so we had inventory on the shelf. And also... Over the years, it was easier to manage your inventory if you knew which serial numbers were coming in because I could create the paperwork serial number for you. You could sign it, and then we wouldn't ship out the paperwork until we had the suppressor here, but at least we had the paperwork matching up for that serial number that you were going to get. Man, we could jump down a thousand rabbit holes on this one. And, <laughs> and like the one of them is that, you know, Brad introduced me to the to the gun trust concept. Yeah. So when you buy a suppress a, a silencer, we keep jumping back here. I'm just going to say silencer for the rest of the time. Yeah, totally. So, so the, the silencer is registered, 
It's and, and only authorized for that one person to have it and use it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so with a gun trust, you can register. You like putting another name on your credit card account. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny when I first started doing this, everyone bought as an individual and then the ATF created e-forms back in 2014. Um, it went offline in 2015 and then it came back on, you know, late 2021. But when it first came out in 2014, the only way you could become a part of the e-forms is if you had a trust, because then there, back then there was no background check on the trust. So that's when we really embraced the whole trust concept. The trust started with, um, you know, again, these laws are created in the 30s and there was really no national felony database that you could get on your keyboard and figure out who's a felon. So they you have to submit fingerprints. And with those fingerprints is how they were checking to see if you were a felon. But also they had to have your your sheriff had to sign years ago that it's OK for you to own it. And it was kind of like to overcome the felony concern. But that and that made it popular because. Some states, like I think it was North Carolina, all the sheriffs got together and said, we're not going to sign these. It, there's no benefit to us to allow you know, our residents to get a suppressor. It just takes up our time signing these. And what if they do something wrong with them? It's going to come back on me. And so the workaround was a trust because the trust didn't require background checks. So there was no need to get the sheriff involved because there was no background. Anyway, the trust is definitely, in our experience, the best way to go to buy a suppressor. It's so... The, I, anytime I find someone to show who tells me they have a reason why they should not buy underneath the trust after I talk to them or like, you know what, I think you got me. Um, we do this. It's so important. We do it for free. So if someone says, Hey, I want to buy a suppressor. We always say, Hey, I would use the trust. And again, the benefit of the trust is think of it as almost like a mini LLC. So we ask the feds to transfer the silencer from us, the dealer to your little, to your trust. And at the end of the day, the trust actually owns the suppressor. And then you could put anyone on that trust that's 18 or older, and then they can use that suppressor when you're not there. So the major, the major benefit is to be able to share it with others. But the other major benefit is if it's in my name and I die, then my spouse has got to figure out how to transfer that to somebody else. It's a free transfer, but still it's the same paperwork I do for my customers. My wife would have to figure out how to do for the new person who's getting it, which is just very painful. So that's why the trust identifies who can get it when you pass away. And it's very vague. It usually says, you know, um, any lawful heir per state law can inherit this. So if you put your wife in charge of the trust, you die, she could give it to a great grandson that you may not even know at this point when you bought it even existed. And it creates a legacy type situation. So trust is huge because there's no tax implications. It's the trust is really only owns these NFA items, meaning like silencers or short bell rifles, or even some guys get into, you know, the more expensive collectible machine guns. But, um, yeah, trust is definitely the way to go for sharing it and then kind of legacy giving it to someone you pass away. It, it sounds like, stating the obvious, it's it's probably the best time to do that is during the purchase, initial purchase process. But can you create a trust later on? Yeah, good question. So a lot of guys you see at the event, they're like, wow, my local dealer didn't tell me about this. And I'm like, well there's not an incentive for them to, because it's a deterrent for you to buy a silencer. If you've got to go meet with a lawyer and get this trust created. So I could see how, you know, and it's probably not their area of expertise, but typically what we'll do is if someone buys a silencer from us and gets the trust, we can transfer the silencers they already own in their own name and put them in the trust. Now, the only discouraging thing there is the feds charge another 200 bucks to do that, but at least you don't have to give up the suppressor while you're waiting for the transfer. But as a service, we've offered customers that said, Hey, I, I kind of want to get my other stuff in a trust too. And it makes sense to kind of have everything in one and we can help facilitate that. We don't normally charge if someone's buying from us. We've got all the paperwork in front of us as it is. Okay. Wow. Hey, so you, you had mentioned one thing. This is, I guess this is my number one. I'm thinking selfishly. If I get one, what, what one would I get? Do they, you can, do they, you mentioned one that would work across different guns or, or different calibers specifically? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So our most popular is called a Banish 30 and it's rated for like a 300 Remington Ultramag, which is popular, you know, further north open spaces where you are. It'll go all the way down really to a rim fire. So you can even use like a 17 or a 22. So then you got something that you work on a 223, a 6.5, a 308, a 300 Wind Mag, 300 Weatherby. Um, yeah, and it's lightweight. So I think years ago, everything was made out of stainless steel and no one could, you know, conceptually envision putting a 30 caliber 
you know, heavy suppressor on a 223, but now that, you know, all titanium is what the Banish 30 is, it's super lightweight. So it's not adding that much weight to the end of the barrel for even a 223 or, you know, 22250 or 243. So the jack of all trades, master of none concept, I want to hmm. test that one a little bit. When, when a suppressor works, a, I said I was going to say silencer, Brad, I keep forgetting that. So <laughs> when, when one silencer works across all calibers, it, is there something lost as, in comparison to specializing for a particular caliber, or is that not yeah. even a thing? Yeah. So if you think about it, that Banish 30, it's nine inches long. So if you were going to use it on a 223, it'd be seven inches long. So you're, you know, and it is modular, so you can make the 30 smaller, but essentially you're shooting a nine inch silencer when if you used a seven inch, it would be just as quiet. So again, you, the negative is you probably have a little bit extra length and weight on there. But because you have the extra two inches worth of volume, the volume of that inch and a half tube by two inches, it's essentially the same amount of suppression as you would have if you bought one just for a 223, because that 223 is going to be shorter. Joel, do you have a rifle you could put one on? I do. I don't. I, oh, yeah, I do. And that was the other question. Man, we didn't even rehearse this, Brett. <laughs> no, the other one I just noticed you guys help with barrel threading, right? Yeah, you know, I it's all about obstacles to overcome for the customer. I mean, we found that customers are intimidated by the paperwork, so we fixed that. You know, I worked gun shows and still work them with the guys. Uh, you know, people don't like paying. Always, the joke I usually use is if you show up with a $400 Yeti cooler after a show, your wife's going to give you a hard time. She's going to say that's too much for a cooler. If you spend twice that and you brought nothing home, you're probably in worse trouble, you know, with a suppressor. So that's why we say, hey, why don't we let you just pay while you wait? So at a gun show, it's a, you know, it's a good response. My wife will never let me do this. Well, if you have a hundred bucks today to, you know, kind of put it down to get it started, then that makes it easy. So the same concept with barrel threading. I would just see so many people that are like, I don't know where I would take my barrel to get threaded. I don't know who would do it. I don't know if I trust my local person to thread the barrel. And then that's something we just added on, you know, because you're from North Dakota, you know, we would typically say at shows, we don't do this uh, anymore, but we used to say, Hey, if you bring your rifle to the show, we'll ship it back to you free. So it was kind of a nice way to bring people to the show to come see us. It was always our, you know, previous customers were getting this email. Um, I can remember many shows leaving Minot where there was so much ice and snow that if I didn't have, you know, three or 400 rifles in the uh, cargo trailer and in the back of the truck, I would have never made it home as too icy. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, no, that, that's pretty interesting. It's uh, it's quite a complicated process. I, w I would imagine, like anything, until you get until you've gone through it, until yeah, until you're familiar totally. and understand it. But the other thing is, things change. Brandon, we do a lot of uh, drone. We use drones and thermal imaging cameras to do a lot of duck research and oh, cool, and you know, productivity measurements with with waterfowl. But the technology and the regulations on drones. You know, yeah. it changes so much and, and you, you really have to stay current on it. You have to have yeah. a reason to stay current on it. And I would argue that most people, you know, if you're an amateur uh, drone enthusiast, you're probably not, you know, studying all the, the latest changes and regulations. Same thing probably goes for the firearms. I did have a question. So a concealed carry permit can yep. help, you know, help you buy, a, you know, the speed at which you buy a rifle or you buy... Um, a shotgun or a handgun. Does that concealed carry help because they're quite popular? Does that help this process at all? I wish I could say yes. I mean, the answer is it's the same background check you got to get the concealed carry is the same background check you're going to have to get the silencer. So if you pass that, the, the hard part is it's state issued, the concealed carry, and then this is a federal process. Okay. So that's the difference. But no, you know, it's funny, North Dakota, because like I said, I was licensed in South Dakota. We didn't have Nick's exempt. Like, in other words, if I years ago, if I had a concealed carry in South Dakota, then I still had to do a background check. And I was spoiled by North Dakota where, you know, when I was working at gun shows, there's a lot of places you couldn't get reception. And you couldn't do background checks with a phone or, you know, even the Internet. And North Dakota was beautiful because everyone had a concealed carry and no one had to do a background check because they had their concealed carry when they picked up their silencers years ago. Um, and that's what really, but I, I think the other point to your question is I am glued to my computer anytime, every day we get updates from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And what I watch is state law because state law can change in a heartbeat. Like, um, 
you know, the state of Washington is trying to make, um, you know, assault weapons ban those. And they're saying that uh, a firearm that a silencer could screw on is banned. So the whole question is, gosh, does that impact silencers? And how does that affect, you know, I probably have 10 or $15 million worth of sales out there waiting for people in that state or whatever, just all these different things. It didn't end up impacting us, but no, I watch state law like a hawk just because little things can change and, you know, how they regulate suppressors, if they let you hunt with them. And then we're always communicating with our customers. You know, granted, there's only about five states that are kind of in that mix where you worry about them changing something that can impact the customers. But that's something we really, really stay in tune with because part of the, um, you know, the message that I give um, ATF when I meet with them is I'm very familiar as a pharmacist that I have to follow state law and also federal law. Same thing is true for firearms. You got to follow both. And it's important to like make sure you're having awareness on both. And a lot of times if I don't understand what the law says, I just call them up and say, help me interpret this. What do, what do you want us to do? Just to kind of get their feel for how are they going to enforce it or not enforce it. it we have both a, a U.S. and a Canadian membership by, yeah, by design cool. by Target. Do, are you f- f- at all familiar with the the scene in canada do you know if they allow you know unfortunately the suppressors are illegal in canada you know i try to work with jim shockey there for a while and we just could never we were sending him fake cans and they just kept getting seized by the people at the border so um yeah unfortunately i've got a wolf hunt coming up there in january and i can't take a suppressor so i'm not excited about that but yeah unfortunately they're not uh they're not legal there in in canada at all i wish they were I, I, you know, it could change. Like I said, I've seen so many states in the U.S. that at one point they were illegal, who now they're illegal. And then only, not only did they become lawful, but then you could hunt with them. So hopefully, you know, at some point people don't see it as a public safety issue. It opens their mind a little bit. The problem in Canada might be to get the gun to put them on, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think sometimes, too, just as something becomes more household, it, sure. you know, it kind of some of the, the, the scare, some of the tarnish wears off. And, you know, thinking from something analogous in the art, in the archery industry, lighted knocks, you know, yeah. were for a long time were not allowed for hunting in North Dakota. Then it became oh, yeah. more mainstream, more popular, more well known. And hey, and then from my personal thought, it didn't help me shoot a deer, but it it did help me recover a deer because I had a better yeah. idea of where of of where the point of impact was as to how sure. quickly I would track that down or go to track that deer. But I, I would imagine too. As people become more familiar with what yeah. a, a silencer is, maybe more importantly, what a silencer is not, right? True. And, yeah, good point. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Um, sorry to keep giving North Dakota examples, but you know, what's interesting is North Dakota used to have a law that every time I did a transfer, I had to send it to the state and they had to keep a file of everything that was transferred. Um, and I worked with the NRA to get rid of that. Like the NRA talked to your attorney general, this has probably been, you know, 10 years ago and they got rid of that law. But for a long time, there was a law that anyone that bought a machine gun or a silencer, they kept a record of it at a state level. And, you know, they agreed that, hey, we don't want these in a file drawer because, you know, what if we have someone that's not pro Second Amendment, you know, 15, 20 years down the road and all this information is there. So, um, you know, it's probably a feather in our cap just being an advocate at every state level of how can we make it more user friendly for customers so that there's not landmines that they don't see and don't, don't even have to worry about. Okay. Once you own a uh, silencer, is there, you know, thinking if I'm a licensed driver, I have my driver's license. I have to have it on yeah. me all the time. If I'm carrying a concealed uh, firearm, I have to have my concealed weapon permit. Is there any type of paperwork equivalent to that with a silencer? So the silencer, when it's approved, they'll give us a sheet of paper and it's basically, they put that tax stamp on there and then they write the serial number across it, which pretty much cancels it. A lot of people say that is like the title of ownership. Most people will take a picture of that with their phone. So they have it on their phone in case law enforcement asks to see it. Um, you know, a lot of people will tell you technically it's required to have it. Anytime I've asked ATF what the statutes say, their interpretation is, the ability to present it in a reasonable period of time, just sort of show proof of ownership. Technically that form is a tax form because you paid $200 and all the laws that created this 
National Firearms Act is underneath the IRS tax code. So technically, the only person that can actually truly lawfully ask to see a copy of your approved Form 4, your tax transfer, showing ownership of your silencer, is an ATF agent. And agents are not very popular. There's an, there's like industry investigators, but agents are more on the criminal side. And then the other person is like a treasury agent, like someone who's with the IRS. So those two people are very rare. A lot of gun places like ranges will ask to see proof of ownership. Some people, if you leave it with a firearms dealer, they'll want to see proof of ownership to do if there's any like work, if you're getting something threaded, just to prove that you're the lawful owner of it. But yeah, usually I just take a picture of my approved and then keep it on my phone. Uh, I think some people, you know, they'll they'll scale it down and laminate it and put it in their wallet. I think some people are probably a little too paranoid, but um you know, again, ATF tells me as long as you can present in a reasonable period of time. Obviously, too, you know, I've had them stolen up there in like Watford City and some of those, you know, oil, oil uh, gun shows up there. And um, you know, the ATF has always told me, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll show up again, like someone's going to find them. So sometimes they'll ask, ATF might ask, could we see the serial number just so we can run it to make sure it's not stolen? I think that's, you know, a legitimate request. Okay. No, that sounds good. Brad, anything that you think that uh, you'd like to bring up something we're missing? Yeah, absolutely. But before we do go, um, I want to let everybody know that the uh, the Duck Hunters Expo is coming up in Little Rock this July 28th, 29th, and 30th. And Silencer Central will be there in full force cool. for the entire event. Now, Brandon, hopefully we can get you down there. But yeah, I, hey, that's, that's, no, that's a good time. We don't have any shows during that time. So it's perfect. That's a really good time. Are there any benefits to to working with you at, at the Duck Hunters Expo? Versus- yeah, you know the yeah the benefit of the show is typically we'll submit all your stuff right there. So we're gonna take your fingerprints there. We're gonna you know get your signatures. You know it's sort of a turnkey. It's almost like we bring the shop to you. So there is a good benefit, and of course our guys that are um, you know. Most of my sales guys never leave. I mean, if you tell a guy in South Dakota, you can sell guns and get paid to do it. I mean, they're like all over it. We can't make people leave. So um, yeah, they'll, our top guys will be there. Cause like I said, we, most of our shows are January, February, March. So we love the idea to be able to go to, you know, events and interact with customers in the, in the summer. So yeah, we'll, we'll do all the paperwork right there. So when they leave there, they're pretty much done, which is kind of a nice sell to people that don't like paperwork. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Brandon, you've been popping up, and Silencer Central has been popping up on on in my on different emails that I receive, social media. You guys are out there, so so you know all the listeners, you know, keep on a keep your ear open for Silencer Central, Brandon Maddox. Brandon, tell us how people can find your company. How can they find Silencer Central? Yeah, SilencerCentral.com is easiest. Google search, social media, you know, Facebook, um, Instagram, what, whatever is easiest for them. And again, like I said, we just know that people that go through the process, if they actually talk to somebody, you know, Andrew or Ryan or, you know, someone live, they feel more connected to us. So if, you know, I know younger people are like, Hey, I'm not talking to anyone. I know my assistant, you know, she won't <laughs> talk to anybody. She just texts them or call, you know, or sends them an email. So whatever people prefer works. I mean, our goal is to try to make life easy on getting a suppressor. So we also try to make it super easy to get in touch with us. Some people just chat with us via the, you know, online bot on our website. So whatever works for, you know, folks that want to interact with us, we're happy to help. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, hey, thank you on behalf of of the Ducks, on behalf of Delta Waterfowl. Thank you so much for your support of our organization. If you're listening to this and you're going to be at a Delta chapter banquet in the in the short to midterm future you might find the opportunity to purchase or bid on a silencer central silencer or maybe not your silencer but you know what i'm yeah, saying it's ours, yeah yeah so no we this is this is exciting stuff i learned a ton and i have a feeling that you could go on for another hour or two but we're going to keep this under an hour you've already given us over 50 minutes of your time so thank you very much yeah no thanks for the opportunity excited yeah. thanks brandon Okay. Well, again, uh, Brandon shared with you how to to find them, silencercentral.com, Dr. Google, do a Google search and you can find your way there or or jump on any of the social media handles. And we appreciate you, Brandon. Thanks for your time and we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thanks, guys.